Thanks for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. Welcome to week number six of For Pete's Sake. What we've been doing during this theme is looking at Simon Peter, the disciple, and what we have discovered is that he is a faithful follower of Jesus, but yet he is also flawed. He has a lot of ups and downs, and we've been able to learn so much from him. Last week, I came to Valley Point dressed in a casual kind of way, which was sort of fun. I actually had somebody come up to me afterwards when we were greeting, and they said, hey, Justin Bieber called, and he wants his vest back. (laughs) Justin Bieber called. See, this is one of the things I love about our church. Sarcasm. I love it. I was channeling my inner Bieber, but I don't think he's going to make any phone calls today. We really have learned quite a bit from our mentor, Peter. I know I have personally benefited from thinking about and studying and researching and teaching on the life of Peter. And I feel we can identify with him quickly because of all of his ups and downs, his good days and his bad days, right? When you think about Simon Peter, I think his life looks a lot like this. When we began our theme a few weeks ago, we talked about Peter being up on the mountaintop. He began, he started his journey of being a disciple of Jesus, and things were going very well for him. There was a lot of energy there, but if you turn the page in Peter's life, you see that he does something Or he says something because he was kind of this bold, intrepid leader, and he was always putting his foot in his mouth, and he did something or said something that brought him into the valley. But if you turn the page, you find him once again following Jesus in amazing ways, but then the next chapter, Peter, once again, he does something or he says something, and he's back in the valley. A lot of ups and downs for Peter. And I think this is a picture of my life. And maybe you feel the same way, just a lot of ups and downs, good days and bad days and everything in between. That's Simon Peter, a faithful yet flawed follower of Jesus. And I think this describes us in a lot of ways as well. Seth Godin, an author, entrepreneur, and teacher talks about these low spots in life, and he actually identifies them as the dip. Starting a new adventure is always fun and exciting, but inevitably, life takes over, and we all experience dips, these low spots. Seth Godin defines the dip as the slow slog from starting something to mastering it. And again, we often start things way up here and we get excited, but life occurs and we may experience a downturn or a dip. Seth Godin talked about how successful people, they experience dips, 
But they approach them in a different way. Instead of being overcome by them or even devoured by these dips, they tend to lean into them and actually benefit from them in a way that propels them forward. Thankfully, we see this in Simon Peter quite a bit. Again, he's up on the mountaintop with Jesus, but then he does or says something and he finds himself in a dip. But what we have come to know about this faithful yet flawed follower is he does learn from these dips in life. And what we see happening over and over again is that Jesus reaches out to him and restores him and picks him back up and invites Peter back into the game. Come on, Peter. You've had a dip. You've had a low spot. But here I am. I'm, I'm Jesus. And I want to invite you back into the game of using the one life that you have to be the rock, to be a leader. Do you remember way back in week one, we talked about Simon's name. He was called Simon, son of John, but when he met Jesus, Jesus changed his name and said, you're not going to be called Simon anymore. You will be called Peter, which means the rock. Jesus changed his name. And remarkably, what we see happening today, and we'll discover this once we dive into the text, is that Peter is acting like a rock. He is acting like that leader that Jesus wanted him to be. For the first five weeks of this theme, we have noticed Peter and Jesus there in close proximity. When Peter walked away from Jesus or denied, he didn't have that proximity, and that's when he ran into a dip, but Jesus would call him back. So for the first five weeks, Jesus and Peter are pretty close. What we will discover today is that Peter becomes the rock. He becomes a great leader in the church, and some amazing things happen in his life that even lead us to where we are today as a church. So we're going to learn all of this. If you have a Bible or a device, I want you to find Acts chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading with verse 8 in just a moment. Acts is a book in the New Testament. It's after all of the Gospels. So if you take your Bible and you open it up to the first New Testament book of Matthew and start turning to the right a little bit, you'll bump into Mark and then Luke, and then John, Acts is the book that follows John. It's written by a guy named Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Acts is a historical book that gives us a lot of detail about what happened after Jesus returns to heaven, and Peter begins leading the church and being this rock. All of that is outlined for us in the book of Acts. What we see in chapter 1 is that Jesus is still on earth, but he's ready to ascend. He's ready to return to heaven. His work on earth is done, right? Jesus came to live and to die to pay the price for our sins, and then he rose again, conquering death, assuring all those who trust in Jesus alone to save them of a forever friendship with God. That was the work of Jesus. He came to seek and save. Jesus completes all of that, 
He is ready to return to heaven. But before he does that, he says a few things to Peter and the close followers. That's what we'll read in just a moment in Acts chapter 1. Before we read, though, I want to give you today's big idea. Take out your talk notes as well, and let's walk through this. Here's our big idea. Time with Peter. We're going to give him more time today. Time with Peter helps us see Jesus as someone who is worthy of a strong commitment. Not just a commitment, but time with Peter, this individual who had ups and downs and dips, but yet he learned from all of that. He's going to help us see Jesus as someone who is worthy of a strong commitment. Okay, Acts chapter 1 Verse 8, here are the words of Jesus. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he, Jesus, was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. Jesus is gone. Verse 10, as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Hey, men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And after hearing that information, verse 12 tells us that the apostles returned to Jerusalem. Let's roll into chapter 2 now. Verse 1 says, on the day of Pentecost. And I want to pause there for a moment because that's a key word that gives us a bit of a timeline. On the day of Pentecost, this is an event. The word Pentecost is an English word that comes from the Greek word that means 50th or 50 days. So on the day of Pentecost, meaning 50 days have passed, since something. Well, what's the something? If you look at the context of what's happening here and compare with the other gospels, you discover that 50 days prior to the day of Pentecost was the Passover. It was Jesus sharing the Last Supper with his disciples, where he looked at them and said, one of you will betray me. And they were all like, what? That's not going to happen. And Jesus said, well, it even gets worse. All of you will desert me as well. So one of you will be a betrayer, and all of you are going to desert me. And we know that came true. Jesus was arrested. He was put on trial. He was killed. He rose again, and now we see him returning to heaven. There's 50 days of activity there. So on the day of Pentecost, the 50th day after all of that, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Some miraculous things are happening here. 
something that looks like a fire above their heads and they're speaking in different languages. The Holy Spirit has arrived. This is miraculous. Verse 5, at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, when they observed what was happening, everyone came running and they were bewildered. Like, what's happening in this house? Well, if you continue to read in Acts, you will discover they came to the conclusion there's a lot of weird activity in the house. People are speaking in different languages. There's fire, whatever. They're all drunk. That's what's happening on the inside of that house. It's the only explanation. They've had a little, you know, a little too much to drink. Well, Peter responds with this. Verse 14, Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. And then we have this funny little commentary. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for boozing or for that. Peter's like, come on, that's not what's happening here. It's way too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago. The speaking in tongues, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. This was predicted long ago by one of our own prophets, Joel. And if you go back and look at Joel's prophecy, he said, my spirit will come and you will prophesy. So one of our own actually said all of this was going to happen. And here's how Peter concludes. Verse 40. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And guess what? Those who believed what Peter said were baptized. So we experienced that today. Something that the church initiated a long time ago. We are still observing this ancient beautiful tradition. And so they heard this message from Peter. They were baptized and added to the church that day. We even have a number, about 3,000 in all. So this church launches and it's really big instantly. And here's bold Peter, our mentor, one who experienced a lot of dips in life, a lot of low spots when he walked away from Jesus, but here we find him declaring Jesus in a bold way and saying, you have to consider him. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again. He appeared amongst us so that we would know he was truly alive. And he's just making much of Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. That's what Peter's doing here in Acts chapter two. And what we discover is many people believe they are baptized and the church begins to grow. That's Peter. The church grows, and here's what they did. Verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Those were the activities of the church. They devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And guess what? 
All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Extreme generosity marked the church. So get this, all right? Jesus talks about one of you will betray me, all of you will desert me. That happens. He's put on trial. He's killed. He comes back to life. He appears to individuals. So historically, we would have data indicating individuals saw him alive again. And then he returns to heaven. Peter becomes the rock. I mean, we see it happening here. This individual who is up and down, he is embracing what Jesus wanted for him. And he is building the church. People are being baptized. The church is growing by the thousands. All of this happens under our mentor, Peter. And there is also extreme generosity. People just sharing, choosing to live on less. So they have something to share with God's work so that God can accomplish his purposes in that context. And certainly around the world, people were just really generous. The hospitality was abounding. There was prayer, and they were devoted to the teachings of the apostles. One scholar says this about the extreme generosity that marked the early church. This is just an extraordinary thing. He said it this way, Christians do not withdraw from society. At least they shouldn't. These actions reflect the practice of radically valuing people over possessions acknowledging that Jesus owns both of them and their property. Such behavior reportedly continued among Christians well into the second century, and it was long ridiculed by elite pagans. So the smart people, the elite, saw all of this happening, especially the extreme generosity in the church, and said, you can't do that. That's not sustainable. You can't keep living that way, but yet they did, and that is a pattern we continue to see in the church, just extreme generosity. Again, extraordinary things happening here. Well, here's how all of this concludes. Verse 46, they, this new faith community, this new church, they worship together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So the church just continued to grow. We don't have time to walk through the rest of the book of Acts. I would encourage you to read that at some point because it's fascinating. What the literature reveals as you read, is that the church just continued to grow. They devoted themselves, as they said in chapter 2, to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the Lord's Supper, to extreme generosity. They continued to do that, and boy, the thing really exploded. The church, as an organization, had a lot of problems and issues as well, and you can read about that in Acts, but what we do know is that it began to grow and expand under Peter, our mentor, the rock. He becomes this wonderful leader after 
experiencing a lot of dips in life. Jesus invites him back into the game, and we see it happening here, and it is a beautiful picture of how God restores and gives us the chance and invites us back into the game of using the one life that we have to honor him and to serve him and to be generous for him. I can't help but think that Peter may be reflecting on one of the last conversations he had with Jesus. You remember last week, we talked about how Peter was restored on the shore. He realizes that's Jesus on the shore. He is in his resurrected body, and Peter rushes to the shore, and Jesus prepares a breakfast for him. And then Jesus began to ask Peter, Hey, Peter, do you love me? Do you remember this? Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. There are three iterations of this. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do, do you? Like, really, come on. Come on, Peter. For Pete's sake, do you really love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus responded to that by saying, okay, then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. That's what I want for you. And I can't help but think maybe in this moment by Acts chapter 2, when people are getting baptized and the church is growing by the thousands, that we see Peter living this. He is feeding sheep. And he's doing it in remarkable ways. He's the rock. He's that leader God wanted him to be. Okay, from our mentoring session with Peter, what do we take away from this? Well, here are a few thoughts. Number one, the gathered church is unique, powerful, and inspiring. I think we see this in Acts. We see it from our mentor. The gathered church, this, what we're doing now is unique, and powerful and inspiring. So I would encourage all of you this way, take full advantage of what the church offers. Take full advantage of this because we need this. We need each other. This actually helps us survive another seven days. When I come and I see you, I am encouraged. Wow, there are other people who are wanting to live the way Jesus wants them to live. And yeah, we're not perfect and we'll have a lot of these dips like what Peter experienced, but we're gonna take a shot at living this way. And that encourages me. And hopefully when you look around the room, you see other people are actually attempting this as well. That's the power of the gathered church and why we do this. It's beyond just singing a few songs and having a little talk. It's about looking at each other and realizing I need support and encouragement and accountability. And the gathered church is just unique and powerful and inspiring. It helps us survive another seven days. So take full advantage of the church. That's what it's here for. And we see this in Acts chapter two in a beautiful way. So I've been at the church thing for 26 years now as a pastor. And here's something that I hear over and over and over again when people are transparent with me and talk to me about the challenges and the dips that they face in life. And it sounds like this. When I left the church, 
I lost my way. When I left the church, I no longer had connectivity. When I left the church, I lost accountability. When I left the church, I was no longer as generous as what I used to be. When I left the church, here's what happened to me. And I hear this over and over and over again, and I sit with people in my office and in other locations as well, and I have them describe for me some of their lowest spots. And sometimes that comes after that comment when I kind of stop the whole church thing. So I share that with you as a way to just lift up what you're doing today as something beautiful and necessary and important for all of us. Peter announces this, the church, the gathered church, it's just unique and powerful and inspiring, and we need this. We need this, so let's keep doing it together. I don't know if you picked up on verse 46 in the text. It says this, they shared meals with great joy and generosity. (laughs) So joy and generosity marked the early church. I like to circle things in my Bible, and I found that word joy and generosity to be very encouraging. And so I circled joy, and I circled generosity, and I think this should be the mark of a church that is seeking to honor God. Joy and generosity. Now, I will say this. Valley Point is not a perfect church. We are not perfect in any way. If you think that, stick around for five minutes and you'll discover something that annoys you or bothers you or discover that we are actually imperfect. And we are. But I will say this. I think there's a lot of joy in our church. And I see that and sense that in our gatherings. I see joy As I talk to you out in the lobby, I hear about joy from our small groups that meet and how they're encouraging and challenging each other. I hung out with our student ministry last Sunday night, our 6th through 12th graders, and there was a lot of joy in this room. I talked to people, and even in the midst of them describing real pain, because this happens to us, real pain, there's still a sense of joy, and I'm looking to Jesus to rescue me from this, and I'm hanging on to him, even if that's all that I have, I'm, I'm hanging on to him. And I see a lot of joy in our church. You see that recorded, it happened in Acts chapter two, and I think that is still happening today, joy in the church. So will you smile? Can you do that? All right, there's joy. I also see generosity. A lot of people choosing to live on less. So they have something to share with God so that God can accomplish his purposes in our context right here and certainly around the world. And all of that points to the church, this, us, what we're doing. It is unique and powerful and inspiring. I want to talk to students for just a moment in the room. So if you're elementary age, middle school, high school, in college, maybe anybody under 30 years of age, right? Let me talk to you for just a moment about the gathered church. All of the stats say this. 
your age demographic is leaving the church. All the stats say that. You know, I can't find anything that disagrees with that. All of the stats point to young people under 30, they don't like the church. The church is bad. The church is this organization that's evil. The church, you know, this, this bad thing. And young people don't want to be a part of it. And I see that happening as well. Can I just encourage you this way, if you're in that age bracket, don't follow the stat line just because that's what you're supposed to do. Think for yourself. Think for yourself. And I would encourage you this way. Fall in love with Jesus. Like just dive into the Gospels and investigate what he said and what he did and how he wants us to act today. Fall in love with Jesus, and I believe you will fall in love with the church, warts and all. The church, the gathered church, it's unique and powerful and inspiring. We, we see this from Peter. Okay, one more takeaway, and that is allow others to see Jesus' love and grace through you. By the way, that's how I think we learn from the dips and we make our way out of them and back to the mountaintop experience with Jesus. By allowing Jesus' love and grace to flow through us to others So there's a sense where when we find ourselves in a low spot or in a dip, the greatest thing we can do is think about others first. And and that's really, that's a hard thing to do. And I get that. Because when I'm in a dip, I'm not generally thinking about other people and how can I serve you? It's about like, but I need something here. I've got to get back on top and can somebody please help me? But yet what we see throughout scripture is that when we experience dips, the greatest thing we can do is actually think about others and allow Jesus's love and grace to flow through us. So this isn't about raising the volume on Jesus. You know, believe in Jesus. That's a good thing and should be part of our communication. I think what we see from the life of Peter is allow the love and the grace of Jesus to flow through us because We are the church everywhere we go. We don't stop being the church when we leave here. On Monday through Saturday where we live, work, and play, we're still the church. So let's allow the actions of Jesus, his love and grace, just to flow out of us, especially when we may be in a dip. Last week, I talked about Jesus and how he restores and rescues And that seemed to resonate with a lot of people. I received an email and a text and a few other notes, but an email and a text in particular that I just want to share with you. The email was from a dear friend who said, you know, I I sat there and listened last week and heard about restoration and how Jesus can recover people. And it just brought back for her a 25-year journey where she had a family member in the depths of addiction and and just couldn't get on the other side of that. 25 years. Tried a lot of things, just it didn't happen. But yet in the midst of that 25-year journey, this individual, this dear lady, intentionally chose to let love and grace flow through her. And a few years ago, that family member found themselves in recovery 
and has been four or five years clean now. And she talked about this extraordinarily hard journey of walking with this person and doing that even when it felt like nothing was going to work. And the love and grace of Jesus flowed through her. And I believe God used that to help that family, family member make some great choices. And now this dear individual, a strong commitment to Jesus. Strong commitment because Jesus does rescue. He does help people find their way through recovery. I received a text from a new friend. And here's what he shared with me. The message really made me happy today. I have hope. I have hope. Like, that's a great text for a pastor. You can laugh at that. It's okay. It's a great text for a pastor. Like, wow, I, you know, I have hope. Because this is what Jesus offers. Like, he came and lived and died and rose again to provide hope. And so, boy, here's someone saying, I, you know, I have hope. I do. The church is very special to me. That's what he said. And this is from someone right now who is in the midst of recovery and restoration. And they're making a strong commitment, a strong commitment to Jesus. And I know in them, I'm seeing it in this individual, Jesus' grace and love is flowing through him and impacting a lot of people as he walks this tough journey. So many stories, so many stories, and many more to come of how the love and the grace of Jesus can flow through us and touch people and really make a difference. Back to the big idea. Time with Peter. It helps us to see Jesus as someone who is worthy of a strong commitment. A strong commitment. May God give us the strength now to follow the example of Peter who experienced a lot of ups and downs but learned from those dips. May we follow the example of Peter and make these strong commitments to Jesus so that what we learn here and, and how we grow here, it goes out and inspires and touches and the love and grace of Jesus just flows through us and touches many. Here's what I want you to do. Will you just put your stuff aside for a moment? And I want to invite you to stand with me. Each week, we have been ending with a benediction that just encapsulates what we have been discussing. And I want us to share this together. So will you pray this with me? Lord, thank you for Peter's story. You know I failed you many times. Thank you for always taking me back. Help me to be faithful to you. Help me to see the wideness to your mercy and to live my life in such a way that others are drawn to you through me. Equip me and use me to fish for people. Amen. Father, we stand before you as individuals, individuals who need you in your restorative power, your grace, your forgiveness, we need that. And so I just pray and ask as you continue to speak to us right now, whatever it is that we need to do or adjust 
or add, whatever that looks like, God. And that's going to be different for each and every one of us because we're all in a different place spiritually. Whatever that looks like, God, would you just help us to respond to you and to say yes? God, would you help us to keep taking advantage of what you offer through the church? God, I also pray that you'd help each and every one of your sheep to allow your love and grace to flow through them, to serve other people even when we don't want to, to place others first. God, my confession to you is that I often fail to put others first. So would you help me to look at the example of our mentor Peter and make better choices regarding serving others, especially when I don't want to or when I'm in a dip. And God, I pray that for everybody here. Help us now to follow the example of Peter. So God, if we're in a dip today, would you help us to look to you and learn from that? God, if we're on the mountaintop today, help us to keep looking to you there as well. Knowing that you'll use our lives to make a significant difference. Give us a great week of taking lessons from Peter and using them in our lives, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.